Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Rettiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. My guest today is Robert Zimmerman, who's an expert in communication and is connected up with many of these and uh, public service nonprofits and businesses on the out here, and also internationally, and also he's a TV star. <laughs> Get better sources, Dan, for that one. Well, you're you're on TV as a a commentator. Sure. Tell us a little about that. Well, you know, it really evolved. Uh, you know, my my cause, if you will, and my business, of course, is my my focus. But my cause and mission has always been political activism, and uh, that is uh, given me the opportunity to. It's helped me find my voice in many ways because it's given me a platform to speak out on so many issues from environmental injustice and the climate crisis to social justice, to issues relating to, frankly, fair tax policy uh, for our country and many opportunities to sort of move our agenda forward to a more, more inclusive agenda. And so it really evolved from my work on Capitol Hill. I'd worked many years ago and I was just a kid for Lester Wolf and I uh, was an intern for him and then on a staff and Lester was always impressed with how I could pitch a story or make, hey, make an argument. Was he a congressman? He was a congressman, yes. He was a congressman for many years on Long Island. And, uh, and down the hall was a young congressman named Al Gore, who I got to know very well, as I did got to know Tipper, his wife. And anyway, fast forward, Al's running for vice president with Bill Clinton. And they reached out and brought me into his national campaign. And there were emerging a number of new platforms to speak about uh, public policy issues at the time. And one of the folks in the Clinton world saw me on PBS talking about the environment and uh, said, why don't, you give it, why don't you give it a shot? We've got these new cable networks we've got to address and speak to. And so one of my first shows ever was actually on Fox News. I had no idea what Fox News was and uh, found out real fast. And one of my first co-panelists was Patrick Buchanan, who gave me a very good bit of advice, Dan. He said to me, let me tell you how this works, kid. You weren't chosen in a talent hunt. You were chosen because you were available. So long as you keep answering the phone when they call, they'll book you if you're pretty good. And of course, he was this you know, fire-breathing dragon from the right. And there's me as a, as a novice in this process. And we had a great time on the air debating issues at the time. And uh, so I guess the referrals, I started going on uh, the different networks, uh, certainly during the Clinton administration and then post that period, uh, speaking out uh, as a Democrat and a progressive activist on many important policy issues. And, uh, and so that's how, it, that's how it began to evolve. And uh, how, how, where would people find you today? You well, today I do it occasionally. I've been, on, I've been on periodically for about 15, 20 years. So today I primarily would be on CNN, uh, Good Day New York occasionally, every now and then MSNBC. Uh, so those are the sort of venues I do primarily. New York One occasionally, and News 12. 
So uh, those formats, but it's uh, fortunately not what I do for a living uh, because I wouldn't want to depend upon it for a living. But it's uh, it's kind of a, it's a, I take it very seriously because people, when they hear you on the air and they hear what you have to say, they, they take it quite seriously. So it's, so it's so important to be factual and be on target. I do Joan Hamburg's radio show, which I love uh, as well. Uh, and I think it's really, you know, we've never had more opportunities to fact check and let, uh, and very little interest in the facts. Yes, I know it's interesting. It's really, I was at one, a very elegant uh, Southampton dinner party with very dear friends and this lovely woman, uh, very nice woman, very accomplished woman, leaned over the table and repeated some absurd rumor about Kamala Harris and said, well, that's got to concern you. I said, well, no, it really doesn't because it's not true. And she responded, well, I understand your opinion. I said, well, no, it's not my opinion. It's just not true. And one of my then people to the left of me nudged me under the table. And so where do you go from there? I mean, uh, you know, as that late Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan said, not everybody's, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but not their own set of facts. Right. And uh, that's a real challenge to address in the country. It sure is today. Yeah. What, what public, have you been doing any public service work out here on the East End? And if so, tell us about it. You know, it's, it's interesting. I've been very active in gun safety issues uh, with the LGBTQ network on the East End. Uh, it's been a very important mission to me. Uh, I've been very active in the climate crisis, environmental issues, uh, comprehensive immigration reform, which I think is so desperately needed for the country. So I've worked with groups on the East End in that regard, as I have throughout Long Island. Uh, and so that's been, uh, those have been defining issues in my life. What, uh, what specific, can you mention some specific clients? I saw you did, did work for the Girl Scouts. Well, you know, it's interesting. Our firm evolved, uh, basically Ron Edelson, my business partner, I started it in my apartment. And it's now, we're out in our 34th year with 23 employees. And interestingly, during the period of COVID, there became an increased demand for, for work because there are so many increased different ways to communicate yes. and increased demand for communication. So it changed quite, the, the field changed quite a bit. In those 34 years, uh, you know, literally, there was a time you used to go down to the press room and give out press releases, which is a good way to learn about what works and what doesn't. And you work from fax machines. Of course, today, everything is driven through technology. Uh, Weekly papers like the Southampton Press, Sag Harbor Express, East Hampton Star, as influential as daily newspapers are and have an enormous impact. Uh, Dan's papers still defines the culture and life as you do, Dan, for the Hamptons. And I got to say, you know you've made it in the Hamptons. You finally get on Dan's talk, so I'm very honored to be with you. But uh, no, you've had such an impact through your books and columns and Dan's papers. It's been so important. And it now is just, I, I see it featured on television, so it's nationally when they do, story, they do stories about the Hamptons in terms of, have you seen what's in dance? Yep. So it's been very important. And so there are, media has changed, as you can see by this podcast, by the blogosphere. It's um, been very important in that regard. So in terms of our clients, our clients range from re the real estate industry to the finance industry. Not-for-profits have been very important to us. It's important to our work. We represent Grow NYC, for example, which oversees the green markets throughout the city of New York and oversees programs to, to help people facing food insecurity. And that's been a particularly uh, a, a growing uh, crisis in this climate crisis, in the pandemic rather, where you've seen um, literally over a million and a half food boxes 
being given out in the past year for people facing food insecurity. Uh, so there's a, there are real crises here, and we certainly see that on the East End uh, in terms of how the pandemic's been addressed. And I got to give a shout out to Southampton Hospital. I'm so proud of them for the way they have addressed the testing crisis, the way they've addressed the vaccination programs. They have really saved lives, and uh, they deserve an enormous credit for it. Uh, that's for Rich Gelfand, the chairman of the Bob board, and Bob Chandler, done, uh, the president. They've done masterful work. Have you seen what's been going on at the uh, Birchanton Child Care Center? Well, that's been a cause I've been active in since Peter Jennings and Casey Freed brought me into it. Oh, my God, when they were doing jazz at Jennings, uh, jazz concerts there. And I've always been a supporter of them. I don't think I've missed one. Uh, but uh, what is happening there right now? Well, we're bu they're building a $3 million uh, wow. main building to replace that farmhouse they have. It's almost done. It should be open in November next month. Wow, that's extraordinary. And, you know, you think about where they started from and why they started and how they've evolved now to not just working with young people, but working with uh, their parents and adults with English as a second language and the range of services they offer. It has been just very defining to the Hamptons future. And I'm always very proud to be supportive of them and, and their great work. And, and, you know, it's interesting. The fact that Peter and, and Casey brought me into Bridgehampton Child Care Center, it's a good example of life in the Hamptons, I think, in many ways, because it's a community with incredibly philanthropic heart. Uh, it really makes an extraordinary, has an extraordinary impact. And so whether folks are weekenders or city folks who are now living here, it's, it's really, the Hamptons, it's really very, it's really uplifting to see this. You know, when I first came to the Hamptons, of course, it was, I was much younger and um, it was sort of a party place and it was a fun place to hang out and meet friends and, uh, and get together with folks. And as you get older, it has, takes on a very different meaning. Yes. It's those quiet, quiet dinners with friends that seem a lot more important. Uh, getting home by 10, get, start having dinner at seven, getting home by 10 o'clock when I used to go out at 10 o'clock. That's like a win, you know? Uh, and just the way we've all connected with each other, the people, the commitment that we pe people have to this community. The Alda Foundation at Stony Brook University is just such an extraordinary institution. And Alan and Arlene are such great, uh, great activists in terms of caring for the community. The Bridgehampton uh, Chamber Music Concert. Uh, the Hamptons is what you want it to be. It can still be a party scene if that's what you want. One of the most remarkable things that's happened here has been this tax that was put in on real estate sales. To yeah. Made billions of dollars to save land, which is, yeah. they've run, almost run out of land to save. Yeah. Right, so now they're using the money for uh, museums and public service. And, it's uh, great. All the things they've expanded. Yeah, and their focus on affordables and trying to preserve the inclusive nature of the Hamptons. It really, it says a lot about the culture here and the mindset. Unfortunately, the stories, the, you know, unfortunately, every time there's one of the real housewives shows up, that becomes significant news. Uh, and that gets in the way of real life and um, people making, people really making a real contribution. So, what is the most interesting uh, communications situation you have found yourself in that you can tell us a little bit about? Well, yeah, that's, that's a really interesting question. Um, you know, it's, it's a, let me think about that because, you know, in our, for, in our field, you always have to deal with different crisis communications issues. That's always something comes up 
And more often than not, it's a, a bad rumor or it's a mis misinterpretation of facts. We did have one situation many, many years ago with Eastern Suffolk BOCES. This is maybe 15 years ago, where- What is BOCES? Tell, tell us what is BOCES. BOCES we have on Long Island, uh, Eastern Suffolk BOCES, Western Suffolk BOCES and Nassau BOCES. And they perform an extraordinary service. Not only do they uh, work with uh, children with special needs, many times extreme special needs, but also they provide career and counseling education for many young people who aren't want to go to college, who may want to be an auto mechanic or electrician or cosmetologist. So they provide a real path for young people to build strong uh, economic lives. And they, provide, and they also provide extraordinary programs for very gifted children too in the arts, and enter, enter, in the arts field and in other fields where they have special talents. So it's a tremendous service. Hmm? Back to what you were talking about with that. I just want to okay. Well, we had this is what we had a we had a situation where uh, a story was circulating that there was a toxic fume coming out of one of the facilities, and it was uh, people were profoundly concerned about whether this was a severe gas leak or was it a toxic chemical or uh, 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 maybe a bomb that was malfunctioning. And it became a profoundly serious issue. And it, of course, the school was evacuated immediately. The protocols were all put in place. It's had to be maybe 15 years ago. And all of a sudden, News 12 had their Chopper 12 headquarters, Chop, Chopper 12 um, uh, helicopter over, over the particular facility monitoring. The media starts showing up. And we're on with a full-scale crisis here, which is yeah. now beginning to get coverage in the metropolitan region. And so we're trying to you know, keep heads calm and keep it analytical. And people start showing up in hazmat suits, which of course, if you're ever managing a PR story or a media story, hazmat suits are never a good sign. And after a very thorough and exhaustive investigation, they came back with the conclusion, what they call the dirty diaper story. They came back with the conclusion that chemicals had mixed with diapers of the very young children and produced this odor. So that toxic fume or that potential, uh, that potential bomb malfunctioning was just chemicals mixing with, with diapers. Which caused which caused the uh, situation to to evolve, and wow. so it's a, we the story was quickly diffused. But the challenge was getting the facts and getting the news out there as soon as possible, and um, so that was pretty. Uh, that was a challenging. That was a challenging PR moment that stays in my mind. And you have these periodically come up, uh, and Bosi's team was so great in responding so comprehensively. But so you have those kinds of issues uh, that come up in crisis communications, which are challenging. Uh, you know, one thing. That we should talk about for a moment is the way the Hamptons has become the centerpiece for political fundraising on Long Island. Yeah. And one of the few benefits of the past two years, one of the very few, is that we've not had candidates flooding into the region uh, looking for uh, looking to have fundraising events with us as they as they do historically. Uh, that's been uh, in fact, I remember Vogue magazine called me during the presidential campaign to talk about Hamptons fundraising. And I said to them, I'd much rather have overpriced lobster salad by myself or with friends than with a bunch of politicians looking to raise money. Yeah. I managed to offend both Democrats and Republicans with that comment all at once. I mean, they all, I mean, all, all got, I'm a Democrat, but even Republicans were offended and got on my case about it. But um, uh, it's, it's interesting, the, the national voice the Hamptons has in the political process. And there are folks like Joe Biden who just love to come to the Hamptons. He likes to hang out here. You know, even when he's uh, oftentimes not fundraising. Uh, I don't know he was out here. Well, he hasn't been out here since. I don't think he's been out here as president. 
But before he was president, he would literally, you'd see him at the golf course, the public golf course shooting balls, or he'd be literally walking up Main Street in Southampton having ice cream. And it was always under the radar, very low key, just regular guy. And that, that's kind of defines who he is. Where did you grow up and how did you get interested in doing this kind of work? Yeah, it's funny. My family moved from Newton Lower Falls, Massachusetts, when I was nine years old to Great Neck on the North Shore of Long Island. And Great Neck is where I still live, um, where I built my business, went to our public schools. And it's been a very defining part of my life. And, you know, growing up in the period I did, while it had its share of challenges, uh, you know, in the 70s and 80s, and it was a very eye-opening time, it was a, a time of great activism. And yeah. I think, like myself, when you're a gay kid, as I was in that period, in the 70s and 80s, there were two schools of thought. Either you stayed in the closet, especially during the AIDS pandemic, or, as it was recommended to me by an educator, you go into conversion therapy. I see. And I knew I wasn't going to do that. Yeah. But it was a very frightening time. And, you know, you don't often, and it's hard. And for so many kids who are out or want to come out or... Uh, thinking about it just know you're not alone and know there's a lot of us there for you and uh, it's not just that it gets better because it does but more than that just know that you've got a lot of people out there cheering you on and available to you but the point i'm making is political activism became a way for me to find my voice and i grew up in a community where you could have every you could have a guest speaker like an arch conservative like barry goldwater at the time or jane fonda coming to speak uh or scotty reston the famous pulitzer prize winning columnist for the new york times so it was a very activist period. And that of course brought me to working with uh, my congressman at the time. And from that time, it evolved into communications. And that's how I got involved with my firm, ZE Creative Communications. And I'm proud of our 34 years. And it's how it sort of launched me to be engaged in public policy issues and political activism. And I'm a proud Democrat, but I've often taken on my own Democratic Party when I feel they've not been proactive enough in dealing with the climate crisis or dealing with uh, other issues involving tax fairness to people or programs to help build the middle class as, as we are now on track doing, I believe. I saw uh, that there are so many aspects to the different kinds of communication you do. I was uh, reading about you before the podcast began. And uh, there's you have an art department, you have... Uh, mm -hmm. Dealing with social media, with the media, uh, with uh, public advertising, uh, production work. It's a whole, a whole uh, world of uh, of communication that, as as you pointed out, was not something that was in, in a big deal years and years ago. I wanted to just mention a story. <laughs> From my own growing up, I was a high school uh, sports, uh, uh, what do you call it, guy who t calls in the scores at the end of... Sports announcer. Uh, well, calls it into the local newspaper. Oh, okay. We were taken down to this, this was a daily in New Jersey, and we were taken down to this big building where this, the newspaper was, and took a tour as high school kids, and we were in the sports department. The sports editor told us he wanted us to run to a payphone, tell us, uh, call into him, and uh, uh, give him just a brief rundown, like 
in two minutes of what happened and who the leaders were. So I'll tell you what we don't want. He said, once one, one time, I, the phone rang here and I picked it up and I heard old people screaming. And this kid said, we won, we won, and hung up. <laughs> and there you go. Exactly. And uh, well, let's close on one uh, happier, I guess we're on happier, <laughs> is the New York Mets. I read that you're a big sports fan or a supporter of them and these I'm a devotee and I'm an expert on the New York Mets between 1964 and 1974. Uh, that's my, that's my wheelhouse. But I've, I was just so frustrated when they traded away what could have been a dynasty, when they got rid of Nolan Ryan and they got rid of Amos Otis and it was just very, the Mets traded them off. I, I was advocating for a public takeover from the Wilpons <laughs> because they, they so badly mismanaged the franchise. Well, they and, ran out of money because of Madoff. That's one way to look at it. That's a kind way to look at it, Dan. Um, I don't know if I subscribe to that thinking. But regardless, I have a lot of hope for them. They look, a lot of injuries we had this year from the Mets. But uh, besides putting injury, industries aside, in, injuries aside, the athletes really performed very, very well. and really. Do you think there's a connection between the fact that Nassau County is probably one of the great medical centers of the country and all the injuries of the New York Mets. They get injured more than other teams who are, say, in Dallas, St. Louis. You know, Dan, I think there's a dance column in there somewhere that's worth exploring. I'll leave that to you to analyze that further because there's certainly a dance column in there somewhere. We'll end this talk on that. We've run out of time. And okay. I want to thank you for being It's out. so great to be with you as always. Thank you. When I just first started coming out here and I didn't know too many people, you were always so welcoming and so inclusive. And I'll always be grateful to you for that, Dan. So my thanks to you for that. Robert Zimmerman of uh, Zimmerman Communications. What is that? Art? ZE Creative Communications. Native now. And thanks for being on the show. Bye. Thank you. Take care. <laughs>